Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. So affiliate marketing is a fancy technical term for the digital modernization of one of the oldest businesses in the world, which is just the referral business. Hey, I know a guy that has access to all the home inventory in Atlanta. So if you want to move to Atlanta, let me hook you up with my buddy. And if you buy a house through him, Maybe he'll send me a Morton's gift certificate or something. That's affiliate marketing. It's just in the analog world. So on the internet, it's done through links and it's all tracked. And there's a special code that's embedded in the link where they actually know exactly where the referral link came from. And they call it affiliate marketing. You start, you give it time. First of all, you have to calibrate your expectations. I mean, this is one of the biggest problems with internet-based businesses. Real business and real anything still takes real time. But there's a quality of life exchange or change when you say, okay, I'm gonna start using my life to organically generate value that I can use to serve an audience that's truly appreciative of what I'm doing. And I can grow that into an off-ramp enterprise that eventually sets me free from reliance on the matrix. Right. Like, even if that takes you five years, that's still a hell of a lot better than the 40-year, I'm never really gonna be able to retire plan that most Americans are on. Right, and so it's the whole idea, like what's the best day to start when you're 18 and today? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's talk about one of the other ideas, a digital agency. And we've talked about this before on the podcast. I want to just briefly touch upon it. So last time we spoke about it, I really liked the way you approached it, which is that you sort of niche down. So yeah. I go to like the local dentist and say, hey, I could, you know, up your customers by 30%. Let's make some fun videos of the most gory procedures you do. And yeah. people could just shout out at the end. And I felt no pain. And you just do, you know, it's it's possible just approach all the dentists in your area. And then you have success stories. And then you scale that to other dentists. And suddenly you have, you know, a digital agency where you're putting all the dentists in the world on Instagram. Did I summarize it okay? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the formula, and again, I, I don't mind giving away what's in the book at all. But I mean, the formula that served me really well, one of the nice things is being within the digital entrepreneurship community and having been in this space since 2008 when I got involved, when it wasn't really very big. It's not just that I've done all of these successfully. I also know a number of other people who have done all of these, some of the most successful people in the world. I mean, I know some of the people that run the most successful niche digital agencies in the world. I know some of the people that are the biggest affiliate marketers in the world. Like I have a good 
body of evidence um, to derive these kind of broad conclusions from. And I believe that the formula for success in a digital agency, and by the way, I define success as super monetary, like money is part of it, but there's no amount of money in the world that is worth being miserable for. Right. And so I basically look at it as niching down on services and niching down on industries. And this is where you create this unlimited supply of small blue oceans for yourself to go play around in. And, and it's geo-specific to some degree. You know, you look at your town, you say, okay, what are all the different professional categories in which there's millions of dollars of marketing and, and operational and technology consulting spend happening, right? And you say, okay, there's healthcare businesses, there's small healthcare businesses, there's large healthcare businesses, there's insurance businesses, there's real estate businesses, there's home service businesses. And within that, there's roofers and there's plumbers and there's electricians and there's automotive businesses, there's car dealerships, and then there's auto repair dealerships, and then there's auto glass repair businesses, and there's mobile car washing businesses. They're like, ah, so many different, you know, if you go to the North American Industrial Classification System database, there's like 11,000 categories of businesses you could serve, right? And so then you say, okay, well, those are all the different types of businesses I could become an expert at serving with, by the way, a transferable skill set that would probably make you an expert at serving all the rest of them too. Right. And then what are the actual digital marketing services or digital business services that I could provide? I could build websites. I could do SEO. I could do reputation management. I could do mobile optimization for websites. I could do IT hardware consulting. I could do, you know, small office networking. I could like, there's a million different service categories too, right? And so if you have a thousand different types of businesses you could service, or even let's just say it's a hundred, and you have a hundred different types of services you could provide, there are now 10,000 different combinations that you can use to make yourself a unique and relevant service provider in a market. So you say, hey, I specialize in doing reputation management for dentists. And if there's already a company in your market that owns the market in reputation management for dentists, hmm, well, should I change the dentist piece or should I change the reputation management piece? How about if I specialize in doing websites for dentists? Or how about I specialize in doing reputation management for personal injury attorneys? Or if that's taken, how about I do reputation management for divorce attorneys, right? Like as soon as you start looking at it as like this two-sided codec that you can rotate industries and services around on, there's infinite opportunity to be in the digital business or operation or marketing services business. Sorry, that was kind of a clumsy way to say it. What I love about all this, like I've been in the affiliate marketing business I've been in the digital agency business. It's my very first company in the 90s was a digital agency. I've obviously been in the information product business, um, which is another uh, area you talk about. Let's talk about that for a second, like creating an online course. First, let me connect a dot. We've already established two dots and I want to draw the line between them. 95% of the skills that you would learn as an affiliate marketer, if you started an agency, all you would be doing is taking the same skill set and selling it as a service to businesses. You're not having to relearn a skill set. That's the interesting thing about your list is because if you're a digital agency, you could go to divorce attorneys and say, hey, you should create an online course. So then you combine kind of the things on your list here. Exactly. And by the way, this is exactly how my career unfolded. I, I got online in 2008. It's 2022. I have $150 million in sales now to show for it. And that's just been by iterating through these related relevant categories of business. It's not like I went from being a barber to a chiropractor and I had to go back to chiropractor school for four years. I'm able to seamlessly hop from one to the next because the skill sets are mostly the same. Yeah, no, because uh, I know you've been in a lot of these different online businesses from digital agency to creating information products and affiliate right. marketing and so on. I love the 
information product slash online course slash newsletter business. And it's getting yeah. easier and easier to get into that business. It used to be very hard, but now you have on the newsletter side, you have things like Substack. On the, on the core side, you have things like Skillshare or Teachable or even Gumroad where you can create you know reports and just put them up online. So it's it's trivial to do the back end of this sort of thing. Right. But it's not, as, as always, it's not well, so And trivial. even YouTube now lets you have premium content on your YouTube channel. Sure. So there's a billion online courses out there. So how should I th start thinking about this if I want to make some money? So, you know, it's kind of similar to the agency model where I was saying, okay, identify the industry category and identify the service. I think you would tweak that for the, call it the knowledge business, um, nod to tie, right? Or the information uh, marketing business. And you, instead of saying, what's the industry and what's the service, you might say, what's the knowledge category and who's the audience, right? And, and you know, there's an infinite set of of targetable avatars in the world you know i i'm a 43 year old heterosexual caucasian married male and so you know it, without even declaring it i sort of naturally appeal to and, and a lot of it is the nature of my story and a lot of it is the way that i weave my story into my marketing but a lot of it is i appeal to you know kind of tired burned out dads or at least parents, people that have a family that they long to spend more time with and they long to have more freedom to create experiences with. I appeal to, you know, I tend to appeal to a, I would say a little more educated audience in part because of the way that I communicate and, and some of the ways that I intentionally create. I try to simplify complex ideas but I don't apologize for their complexity. And I think there's certain people that are drawn to that and certain people that are like, no, I don't want that. I want the guy that, you know, sort of dumbs it down and makes it like, and I don't mean this diminutively, but like there's some people that make it like laughably simple. And, but I'm actually not that guy. I, I believe very much in the Einstein adage that things should only be made as simple as possible, but never any simpler. And so there's, there's just sort of a natural segment of the market that I appeal to. And in fact, one of the things that we've done at Entra, one of the, the bottlenecks or the constraints that we've identified at Entra is that as long as Jeff is the primary or especially the sole ambassador in the market, there's going to be huge segments of the market that we don't reach. Mm. So we're like actively, I mean, you talk about diversity and equality and inclusion. We're like actively cultivating a diverse base of ambassadors, That's literally, great. because it's it's how you penetrate the larger market. There's who are you going after? And then there's what is it that you're helping them do? And you're a little different from me, but I mean, you have this very broad set of experience and you can speak on a lot of things. And I have taken on this massive endeavor of saying like, I'm going to simplify and make accessible the entire realm of modern entrepreneurship. Like that's a really broad stroke that I'm making, but you don't have to be that broad. In fact, it's a lot harder the way I'm doing it. I mean, I have to spend like no BS on any given month. I spend $2 million or more on advertising just on Facebook and YouTube. My advice is don't do what I've tried to do. Like, don't go build Entra. But you've done that by building up slowly over time. And like you said, you've been doing this since 2008. But the scale at which I'm doing it was somewhat pre-necessitated by the breadth of what it was that I was trying to do, which is to create this all-encompassing platform slash ecosystem that empowers as many millions of people as possible to go on and tackle and thrive in the digital economy. That's like a huge sweeping goal. But I know so many people that, frankly, you could argue have better qualities of life than me because they work so much less. I'm going to use a, a hypothetical example. Like, 
I teach single women how to work on their car, mm. for example, like how to change a tire, how to change the oil, how to get under the hood and diagnose a problem because you don't need to have no man around just to take care of your automobile, right? Like you could build an entire seven-figure niche business just around that with one single course, maybe a maybe a little higher level coaching program if people want to get on the phone and access some of your time. Um, these business models can be very, very simple and incredibly lucrative because they don't involve physical products or physical logistics. Yeah, so so uh, it's interesting. So like, let's say you are 20 years old, 21 years old, you specifically, or let's say you're the example of the 20-year-old waitress in New York City. Mm -hmm. She really wants to create an online course. How should she start thinking about what course to create? There's a general term we use a lot in entrepreneurship called imposter syndrome, right? Like, I don't feel qualified to be an authority on this thing. But there's a mechanism that I think is actually at the core of imposter syndrome that's called the perception paralysis loop, where I don't perceive myself to have done the thing that would give me the authority to do the thing as a service or to teach the thing as a skill. Therefore, I am paralyzed from doing the thing in the first place and thus acquiring the skill that would qualify me in my own mind to do or teach the thing, right? And it's this loop and we get stuck in it and we spend years never never getting off the block. Well, and that's an important point. Like we have been kind of hypnotized by this sort of certification culture that we live in. Like, oh, you can't give legal advice if you're not a lawyer, which is true. Right. Legally, you can't give legal advice if you're not a lawyer. But as someone who doesn't have a law degree, but I've actually given many talks at law firms, lawyers, like in any profession, 95% of them suck. And, you know, and that's true for every profession across the board. And then, and also, as we've been kind of mentioning, new professions are sort of popping up on a daily basis. New industries are popping up and it's possible for someone relatively young in a quick amount of time to be an expert. And by the way, you just touched on the great hack for imposter syndrome, for perception paralysis loop, for, you know, like you talk about this credentials obsessed psychology that we have, which is there, you, you do not need any sort of license. You do not need any sort of certification to talk about your own experience. So you can't give somebody legal advice, but you can tell somebody what you did in the arena of law all day long. Hey, yeah. I had this problem. I spoke to four attorneys and I got these four pieces of advice, which didn't all even agree. And so in the middle of that nexus of confusion, I had to figure out what as the entrepreneur who was paying for legal advice that didn't even agree with itself, what the hell am I going to do? And here's what I did. And here's how I solved the problem. And here's how it worked out. And so while I'm not allowed to give you legal advice, I am happy to share with you my experience. And you know, like, you don't need a license to do that, right? And so the 19-year-old girl, the reason you plucked out of the air the example of a 19-year-old waitress in New York City is because that's a hypothetical description of a person that probably has a lot of challenges in their life, right. which means they're going to have a ton of experiences to share and derive wisdom from, right? And they don't need a license for any of it. The great thing about the internet is you could build a course, put it on Skillshare or wherever, See what happens. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over a hundred or two hundred different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, 
I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be... VP of en- entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I haven't talked to this person in a few years. You probably know her. Selena Sue. She does this course every year, basically how to get media attention for your business. Mm -hmm. And she does a big launch once a year. And she makes almost a million dollars a year doing this. And she's, by the way, the shyest person in the world. I'm happy to say her name because she does a great job. Like I've seen the testimonials. People love her course and it's it's well worth it. But this is someone who came up with this idea for a course. She has some experience and she's making like, you know, 800,000 a year doing this. Yeah. And how many of her contemporaries are still working in PR for 80 grand a year, frustrated, yeah. dealing with pissed off clients all the time that they can never please? 
when you're, you know, Selena's out there just teaching and saying, oh, I, I can't make you happy. Well, here, pay me and I'll teach you how to do it for yourself. You know, <laughs> that that's a really good point. And like, look, the reason I came up with the example of the 19 year old or 20 year old waitress in New York City is because those are my daughters. And, okay, perfect. And I tell them this stuff all the time. Like, look into online business. I sent them the last time we did a podcast, I sent them the podcast and it's just hard to convince them to get off the normal path they saw their parents take, you know, yeah. 20 years earlier or 30 years earlier. Like it's hard to make people realize this is really viable for you. You could start making a million a year, maybe not tomorrow, but if you apply yourself to this and you're smart and creative about it and then study the examples before you, you'll succeed at it. But let me to some degree challenge you, but at least certainly add some flavor to what you're saying. I think that you and I run the risk of making certain assumptions. You know, you were a very, very good chess player at a young age, right? I, right. I forget. You were like the junior champion of your state or something. Right. right. And now I'm the senior champion of my state, which is scary. Yeah, that's right. Um, you've gone from junior champion to senior champion. You just you just like skipped like the main adult I, champion. I completely right? skipped the middle, but, but yeah. like, we, we'll, we'll go on. Um, you know, I... Meanwhile, had this experience of dropping out at 16, having professionals tell me I wasn't going to be able to do a thing. But by 20, I was gigging professionally and doing the thing at, you know, let's say I was roughly at the level in music that you were probably at in chess, right? Which right. is like, I'm not the best in the world, but I'm really damn good. Right. And so we had this experience of like an early win in our life that was built on a base of really intense concentrated effort that's beyond the level of focus that most teenagers apply to anything. And I would argue that the rest of our lives, we've brought that with us into everything we go try to do. I think you're right. I mean, I think at different points when I've dealt with failure, I felt like I lost that spark a little bit, but it always kind of came back. Just like you never get a second chance to make a first impression, it's almost as hard to get a second chance at learning a lesson if you failed to learn it the first time around when you were young. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's a lot harder for an, a 45-year-old adult to build the same type of confidence that you in themselves and their, their native ability to just bear down on a thing and get the value out of it, come hell or high water, and be great enough at it to achieve a superlative result. Like that's a lot harder to develop that confidence at 45 than, than it is for you and me because we both did it when we were teens. That's actually why the book has so much of this quote woo-woo stuff in it. It's like the first half of the book, I just have to convince people to not put their fingers in their ears when I get to the part about what to actually go do in the world because you're pointing out that even your own daughters are basically putting their fingers in their ears when dad tells them that they can do this stuff. Right, and you know, it's interesting because when you're younger, like maybe you experience this at, at 16. I experienced this at 16. People would say, oh, even at 16, you're too old to play piano because you've already passed puberty. You've locked in right. some muscles and, and so on. But you did it because foolishly, you 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 yeah. did it, but you did it. And I say foolishly because it probably was the correct advice to tell you not to do it, but you succeeded anyway. Right. And part of it is, yes, if you work hard enough, you can overcome a lot of these problems that people were suggesting. But also when you're young, you don't really know what a plateau is. You don't really know what it means to reach your talent limit. You you just automatically think you have talent at something right. you love. It's the Dunning-Kruger bias is a beautiful thing where you think you're better than you are, but that's okay because that's what drives you forward. And I think 
I think when you're young, it's much easier to have positive Dunning-Kruger bias than when you're 40 years old or 50 years old and you've been shown many times that, no, you can't really succeed at everything. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think adults, they're no longer dumb enough to ignore legitimate cautionary advice. Yeah, right. I'm so glad we're saying this. This is probably the fundamental premise of the entire book. That natural evolved tendency to mature into safety bias is actually our greatest liability in the modern world. For most of human history, it kept us alive. Now it keeps us from living. Yeah. Because the reality is mo very few people that are listening to this show are at risk of actually dying if they make a bad professional decision. Now, for right. most of human history, you were. Like if you were a farmer and you're like, screw it, I'm gonna leave the farm and I'm gonna go become a painter and it didn't work out, then you ended up dead. Right. We don't live in that world anymore, which means the fear that we do live in that world still, because biologically we still come from that world, that's actually what keeps most people's potential locked up and, and they end up with regret on their deathbed. That's actually the reason I wrote the book. I actually think risk tolerance is becoming a new evolutionary advantage. It's, it's so interesting. And we talked yesterday, there's almost like a list of things that you need other than money. People are fooled into thinking they just need money and then money makes money and so on. And so they'll work at some stupid job like being a lawyer and for 40 years or 30 years until their partner and they're making a million a year and whatever. But we talked yesterday about how ideas are currency. Like if you have ideas, and we talked about this earlier, if you, if you, could have, if you have ideas that could bring value to people, at some points you could start monetizing them into some of the business ideas in your book that you discussed earlier. Mm -hmm. And then this idea of risk tolerance as currency is also very important. You're right. Yeah, Bezos talks a lot about it. He says at Amazon, we're one of the only companies that actually tries to quantify. They have a they have an item on their balance sheet called ROR, return on risk, where they actually try to quantify the financial value of calculated risk taking over time. And he credits it as one of the biggest reasons they've been so successful. It's so interesting because, and look, Annie Duke writes about this as well in terms of poker, how Oh, yeah. Sometimes you take a calculated risk is based on probability theory and you could fail at a lot of hands, but if you win the big hand with the most money, then that's fine. Yeah. And understanding how to calculate risk, understanding how to manage your energy, understanding how to be creative in this environment. These are three things. And you talk about several others in the book that are incredibly important for success in the modern world. But I never really thought of risk tolerance as this, as you mentioned, for 250,000 years as a species, we couldn't have risk tolerance. But now for the past, call it 50 years, you could. And I actually think that it's, you know, and I don't want to get spiritual, but I actually think that the human species begs a lot of pretty major existential questions. And when we talk about evolution in human terms, I think we can all agree that there was a certain point where the human being as an evolutionary, you know, subject diverged from the line of evolution as a whole because we developed sentience and we developed spirituality and we developed a sense of purpose and teleology and all this stuff that is, you know, the human experience, right? And, and so if, you know, okay, you can ignore the questions that that calls for, but if you don't ignore them, then you get into like, what does it actually mean for human beings to keep evolving? And I think that part of human evolution is that, is the evolution of experience of universal intelligence and, and the evolution of our species. Part of the way that we heal the strife and, and the problems within our species that we as individuals have to take personal responsibility 
for growing spiritually and intellectually, not just not dying as long as possible such that we can procreate. Like as much as we might wanna be or want permission to act like monkeys, we're not monkeys anymore. There's something bigger. And part of that is like, why? if you ask why, then it's like, no, I'm actually supposed to be learning how to tolerate risk so that I can move closer to universal truth or whatever that source intelligence is. And to the extent that I go, no, I'm gonna dig my heels in and I'm gonna stay primitive, you're literally refusing to evolve and you're supposed to. And maybe that's a haughty thing to say, but it's what I believe. This is really important stuff because even really intelligent discussions about this topic miss this point and still stick to old school thinking. Like I was talking to Yuval Harari, who writes about a lot of this stuff in, in his book, Sapiens, which is an excellent book. Mm. But then Yuval said something and we were talking about what's next for the human species. And he was basically saying, you know, the, the new haves and have nots are going to be the ones with data and who own the data and the ones who, who don't. And there's potential for them, you know, for those, the people who own the data to kind of edit their genes and, and evolve in a much faster way than the other people. And I'm like, you know, I don't know if I agree with that because yes, Facebook and Google have large amounts of data, but there is so much just knowledge and information online. Like you look at the iPhone, the richest person in the world has an iPhone. And a lot of homeless people have iPhones. Right. Like uh, technology has been a great equalizer in many ways as well. And so, and he's like, yeah, but you know, it'll still take some time for people to catch up. And I'm like, I still don't know because as you've been pointing out, a lot of it is sort of ethereal. Like, like risk tolerance is not something you buy or pay for. It's something you learn. And you can't, and you can't organize it in a database. Right. And so I do think you're right. And, and really smart guys like Yuval Harari are wrong about this. Like this is a way where the waitress could catch up to the billionaire fairly quickly in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, to me, the most valuable currency in the world is basically the ability to draw unique associations. We talk yes. about it as ideas. It's the actual value of data, you know, because like, like to your point, the ubiquity of data makes data a commodity unless you're able to see it or assimilate it or process it or, or draw conclusions from it in unique ways right? At a certain point, having more data is just like having an eidetic memory. It actually makes life more difficult. Because you're like, you want to forget what you had for breakfast for the last 500 days. At right. a certain no point. Knowledge is a total commodity, but wisdom, <laughs> which is kind of a, a shortcut to data, is the important quality here. Now, it used to be you had to go to school to get the knowledge, and then oh, later in life, you get wisdom. But now you can focus more on things like risk tolerance or ideas, things that are sort of backbones to wisdom. Yeah, and, and to a large degree, school now, which obviously uh, the connotation of that term is evolving greatly, which is a huge part of my book. Like, I, I mean, and I'll, I'll say it right up front. I'm trying, when they write the book on how education as an element of culture, how education itself evolved in the 21st century, I want Jeff Lerner and I want Antra to be at least pages, if not chapters in that book. Like, that's why I do what I do. That's why I started this company. But to me, like, you no longer need school to acquire knowledge. You actually need schooling now, you know, school of hard knocks, campus, whatever, to teach you what matters. And you learn what matters through experience, not through sitting in a classroom. Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? Well, with almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise. 
dedicated to shaping brighter futures for both students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., and their proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference, pursue your dreams of business ownership, and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely gotta use HIMS for now. Not that you need it, you're you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You're getting there, You you might need it, who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? HIMSS.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. HIMS.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See HIMS.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. One of my daughters goes to college against my opinion, and she wants to be a writer. And I read her stories, and they're very good. She's much better than I was. I'm not just saying it. Like, I criticize her writing to her, and and she's much better than I was at her age. And I said, you know, to write like this, the worst thing you could do now is go to class and be indoctrinated. Uh, Then you're just going to write short stories about students who have affairs with their professors. And you're actually writing about real-world stuff. And so... I do have her thinking about it, but you know that's neither here nor there. But look, all of this is really important, and this is what I really love about your book, Unlock Your Potential. It's not just this boring, you know, business self help book. Like you're really talking about what it means now to be human, and essentially how to monetize that. And it's not just about monetizing. You know, we talked about all these other things, but 
this is a real key benefit of reading your book is that along the way, you're going to make more money than other people. I'm curious, actually, I, uh, this is one of the first conversations I've gotten to have with somebody that's read the whole book and that, you know, I feel like I just like really want to go there with, and we're in a platform to do it, right? To kind of go down the, the rabbit hole, so to speak. You know, I'm curious your thoughts on some of the pretty polarizing or provocative statements that the book makes that basically says, look, where we're going in the world, and by the way, I spend about the last 25, 30% of the book unpacking my reasoning for this, like with economic data and forecasting and like, anyway, but where we're going in the world, you know, for example, there's a chapter in the book that basically says 10 million is the new million. Like if you don't have $10 million, you're basically a poor person. And the book just says that, and it doesn't really pull the punch. And that's why this stuff matters so much because look, there's 8 billion people in the world. This podcast is still going to exist when there's 10 billion people and 20 billion people. Like how many flipping people do we have to have on this earth before people realize that fitting in is no longer a desirable state? The only people that are going to have really great qualities of lives are the people that stand out dramatically and insist on having a different experience so that they can draw different conclusions from the same set of data that's available to their 9.9 .9 billion competitors. It's really true. And look, you know, I think if you're younger, depending on what your level of responsibilities are, you're single and you don't want to be in a family right. and you don't care about like what kind of house you live in, you could survive on much less. But we're in a world that's inflating right now at 10%, which means a million gets to 10 million in just a few years, really. So, and exactly. by the way, a millionaire was considered a goal in like 1960. And we've had massive inflation since then. The term was invented by Thomas Jefferson in the 1780s. Right. You know, to describe very wealthy people that had a million dollar net worth 240 years ago. Think about that. And we're still using it today like it means something. And I guess it does in terms of like, it's a good goal to have. I mean, I've definitely gone above and below it quite a few times. So it was very frustrating for me, <laughs> but it's true. Like, I don't think you need a billion. Some people kind of have this goal of getting a billion. I do think probably you're right. 10 million is the number where if you have that liquid in the bank and not putting too much risk on it. And, and unfortunately, when I first sold my first business in the nineties, I had 10 and I put a lot of risk on it trying to make a hundred because I thought you needed a hundred. Right. And that was the first time I lost 10, a first of several and always frustrating. But, um, but also uh, you're 53, right? Yeah. And, and you know, I'll give you that year. And so no, you can't, because I was one time I was just having a casual conversation with a woman at a, at a dinner. And she said to me, what are you 53? And my wife who was sitting next to us and listening to the conversation, no, he's 54. <laughs> so, all right. Okay. I don't want, I don't want to fall in bad graces with her. So, okay. You're 54. And you know, I think a lot of it in the world today, I mean, there's this quickening aspect, which part of it is just the you know, mathematical compounding of inflation and rates of change, but also there's just sort of, you know, the pace of information and Moore's law about the, you know, computer processing abilities, like everything's just getting faster. It's not just getting faster, it's getting faster that much faster all the time, right? Yeah. And so depending on how much longer you're planning to live, it might be 50 million, it might be a hundred million. Now, if you're 54 and you're like, look, give me till 80 and I'm good, that's a different equation. But if you're 20 and you want to live to be a hundred, can you think, can you imagine based on what's happening, at least in Western economies, like kind of dollar-based economies, can you imagine where we're going to be in 80 years from now? You literally might need to be a billionaire to not have a sucky life. 
Yeah. I'm trying to remember if this was in your book or not, this story about Peter Thiel and Hulk Hogan. Yeah, that's in the book. Yeah, that's in your book. Yeah, and, and it was a great little story. Maybe maybe describe the story. It's a, it's yeah, a great so example of this. It was sometime in the last 10 years. It might have been like 2014, 2015, somewhere around there. Um, Hulk Hogan, actually, I didn't tell the full story in the book, but Hulk Hogan actually had a sex tape that was published on a website called Gawker. And it was like, it was like ruining his career. It was like ruining his reputation. And this was, you know, this, I mean, I, I think now if you have a sex tape, it's actually good for business. But like 10 yeah. years ago, we were a little more prude, I guess. And so he was trying to sue Gawker to get him to take down the sex tape. And Peter Thiel, who's a, a billionaire, one of the co-founders of PayPal, basically ended up paying Hulk Hogan's legal bills because he was so incensed by the whole situation. And he ended up making, and people were like, why did you pay Hulk Hogan's legal bills? And Peter Thiel said, Listen, in the United States of America, and he was speak granted, he was speaking in particular regards to federal court, not state courts. But he said, in, in the United States of America, a single digit millionaire cannot afford effective access to the legal system. In other yeah. words, Hulk Hogan, the most famous wrestler of all time, you know, up until maybe The Rock, multimillionaire, could not even afford the attorneys to get his sex tape taken down that was actually violating the law. And he needed a billionaire to pay his legal bill. If that doesn't, and that was 10 years ago, and the pro, whatever the problem was then, it's it's a lot worse now. Yeah, it's so interesting. And people were making fun of Peter Thiel because maybe he doesn't have the right bedside manner about this, but he was basically speaking the truth. Yeah, yeah, he totally was. And and now it's not just a single digit millionaire can no longer afford access, you know, effective access to the legal system. Uh, now a single digit millionaire can no longer afford rent in New York or San Francisco. I mean- there's orders of magnitude that these problems escalate through. It's kind of like if the sea level rises, right? Global warming. It's like if the sea level only rises like 10 feet, it like destroys millions of acres of land and like, you know, hundreds of thousands of homes and people are displaced. Like it only takes a little bit of these shifts to create cataclysmic problems. And we're already in that cycle and we're accelerating in that cycle. And people, you know, I think this book, like 20 years from now, people are going to look back. I, I hope if the book is successful enough, I think they will look back on it as a bellwether of an inflection point in society. And there's going to be people, whether the people read the book or not, there's going to be people that followed its implications and came out okay, and people who didn't and wish they had. Well, I hope so as well, Jeff. And it's Unlock Your Potential. Get it online. Get it, where, where should people get it? Should they get it at your website? I almost prefer they get it at Amazon because then your ranking goes up on Amazon. Yeah, I pre in fact, if somebody goes to jefflearnerbook.com, then it like branches out. There's like a link to Amazon. There's a link to Barnes and Noble. There's a link to Books A Million. All, your favorite bookseller, it'll be the right link there. But jefflearnerbook.com. Well, and this is your first book, right? It is my first book. And it, I'm not going to say, I don't think it's going to be my last, but it's going to be my last for a little while. I don't know how you wrote 25 books. I just want to say that. I mean, one did, I think I aged five years in the in the year that I was writing it. Well, when I was writing my first book, it was the summer of 2003. It was so hard. I said to myself, I'm never going to do this again. Like, this is really hard. I'm, it's not worth it. I'm never going to do it again. And then I ended up doing it every single year since, and sometimes <laughs> twice in one year. So you don't know. You have no, no. idea when you're going to get pregnant and it's just going to burst out of you. <laughs> but look, Jeff, it's a great book. And to my listeners, I really hope you read it. If my kids are listening to this, which I know they aren't, I'm going to force you to read it. So thanks once again, Jeff. Always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. We got to do this more often. You always have so many great ideas and practical advice and interesting discussions. So thanks once again. When's the book come out, actually? August 2nd. So depending when this gets aired, you know, it'll either be out, uh, right about to be out or maybe already out. But August 2nd, 2022. 
All right, Jeff. Thanks so much. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.